0: Uh, we have been in our series on Ecclesiastes. And for me as a pastor, it's been a little exhausting. Because Ecclesiastes, I told my wife, I said, after I get done preaching Ecclesiastes, I said, I think I'm going to go to one of the Gospels. I said, because within the Gospels, it's like, it's all pretty clear, you know? It's pretty clear what Jesus is saying and what's going on. And it's like, in Ecclesiastes, it's really easy. I shared with some folks last week in a Sunday school table. I sat down with them and somebody said well right here it says this and right here it says that and right here it says this and i said well Koheleth is speaking and i said it's it's almost like you know a new teenager driving down the road and they kind of get off into the wrong lane for a second I'm just picking on my daughter. She got, she's about to get her license, and she just got a new car. So, she, He kind of gets off into the wrong lane for a little while. And then it's like from time to time, he kind of veers back into the right lane. And he'll say something prophetically through God. All of it is God-breathed. All of it is Scripture, right? But it's like from time to time, he kind of gets off, and he's sitting there talking about some wrong things. And about selfishness and how the things that he did in his life they led him astray and here he is at the end of his life and he's he's regretting the the what he squandered that this wonderful opportunity that he has and he's reflecting back on it so ecclesiastes can be a little challenging and so this week you were tasked with reading chapters four and five And our focal text for the week is Ecclesiastes 19 and 20, and we're going to get to that in just a second. So I just want to get us caught up just a little bit. So we looked at in the very beginning. We said there's a twisted outlook in Ecclesiastes. When you look at verse 1-3, Koheleth, the teacher, says, What does one gain from all the labor at which they toil at under the sun? That's Ecclesiastes 1-3. And we said that when you start off with kind of this messed up, this... What did we say? Twisted outlook. That what it leads you to is it leads you to a twisted conclusion. So, along the way, the next one is a twisted goal. And Koheleth has determined, he says, what a miserable burden God has laid on humanity. Because if you start off with the wrong outlook, it's going to lead you to the wrong goal. What a miserable burden God has laid on humanity. So, it leads us to a twisted method. And if we have a twisted method, I applied myself to madness and folly. That's in 117. He said, I tested myself through pleasures in one, This is his methodology. That he starts off with this conclusion, or he starts off with this outlook that God has laid this miserable burden on man, and he's got this miserable task of a goal, and then he says that his methodology, I applied my mind to madness and to folly to test myself through pleasures with wine to grasp folly. And when you do that, It leads to twisted outcomes. Next slide. So I turn my heart to despair, over to despair, over my toilsome labor under the sun. Next slide. There we go. Twisted conclusion. So it leads us to a twisted conclusion. Meaningless, meaningless. This is how the book starts, right? You go to 1, chapter one the very beginning the words of Koheleth the teacher the son of David king of Jerusalem absolute futility meaningless meaningless proclaims the teacher utterly meaningless everything is meaningless and we said for those folks that maybe haven't been to church in a while but maybe, maybe Ecclesiastes, maybe this series that we're doing in Ecclesiastes might not be the greatest time for you to have started off. They got the past say, I went, I tell your friends, hey, how was church? You haven't been in a while or how was poetry? Well, the guy got up there and he said that everything's meaningless. So we got up and we walked out the door. <laughs> Hang on, don't go yet, please. Because this is, this is. Koheleth, his teacher, the leader of the assembly, he's painting a negative picture, but he's also going to tell us that the reason that he got to that conclusion is because he squandered his life chasing the wrong things. So don't just hear that everything's meaningless and say, well, it's good to hear that in church because that's kind of what I figured out in life. So if we're all on the same page, then there's no point in going. No, that's not it. So last week we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we went through Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and it starts off, and it says, The mystery of time. There's an occasion for everything. And it goes through all these different things. A time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to... And he goes through, and then in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he kind of goes from that, sort of that wrong lane, and he swerves back over into the right lane for a second, and he says, He, talking about God, has established everything as beautiful in its time, Moreover, he, God, has set eternity in their hearts so that man cannot discover the workmanship, the poema, God established from beginning to end. And we looked at last week, we said, depending on your outlook in life, you can look at all of the things that you go through, all of the struggles, all of the trials, all of the tribulation, and you can look at it as this plight that God has laid on us, or you can look at it as a privilege. That God has given us a privilege in every moment and in every opportunity. Oswald Chambers is one of my favorite devotional writers, and Oswald Chambers talks about the idea that as human beings, we're all going to struggle, and that if we always have this outlook of asking God to bless us despite our struggles, that we're really going to miss out on it. That we, He really says we should ask God to bless us in our struggles, to understand that The struggles are the things that God has allowed us to go through in order to be refined and try to remove all of the draw, so that we can be purified, we can be sanctified in life, and that we recognize that all of those things are God's gift. So today, we're in the chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, and our focal text is 19 and 20. You can look in your Bible there, and you're probably not going to have the same translation that I have because I took several, and I kind of wove them together to really get the gist. So if you're looking in your Bible, Ecclesiastes 5, 19 and 20, Moreover, as for everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth and dominion over those things and contentment in their lot and gladness of heart amid struggle, all this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect upon the days of their life because god keeps them afflicted with the joy of their heart that's ecclesiastes five nineteen and 20 there's some wonderful things in there that i want you all to note one of the things that uh, as we we're reading through chapters 4 and 5 it says uh, let's see here in chapter 5 verse 3 it says for dreams result from much work and a fool's voice from many words. And I thought, well, today would probably be a good day for me to not have a 50-minute sermon. So we're going to do a really short, because people are going to be like, Pastor, you're a fool because you used a lot of words. So I'm try and, I'm going to try and cut it back a little bit so that nobody tells me I'm a fool for talking too long. Moreover, as for everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth and dominion over that and contentment in their lot and gladness of heart amid struggle, all this... Not just one or two or three of those things. All of those things. And the reason why I broke it out on the screen for you like that is so that you can see the continuation. Riches and wealth and dominion over those things and contentment in their lot and gladness of heart amid the struggle. All this collectively is the gift of God. They, those people, the ones who look at all of these things, as a gift from god they seldom reflect on the days of their life and it doesn't just mean that you look back on your life that you look back and you say oh i remember when my 16 year old you know she was eight years old when christine and i got married and uh, look back and say you know gosh I remember, I remember when Delaney was eight years old and how cute she is. It's not saying that you can't do that. It's not saying don't ever look back on the things that have happened in the past. It's not saying that. It's saying they seldom reflect on the days of their past with a sense of regret. Oh, because remember Koheleth, the teacher, the leader of the assembly, he's come to the end of his life. He knows that his days are numbered. His days are few. And he's looking back and he's looking on what he squandered. That he had this incredible ministry as the leader of the assembly, the king over all of Jerusalem. And then what did he do with it? In chapter 2, we looked at the things that he did. I'm going to plant for myself some vineyards and orchards. I'm going to do some reservoirs and all of these projects. How often does it say that Koheleth, the teacher, the leader of the assembly, how often does it say that he did things that, that would resonate with Christ? that he ministered to people, that he sought out people who were hurting and who were lost, and he tried to serve them and to love them. See, because all throughout, I share this with my wife and my kids, oftentimes as we're going through the Old Testament and you read about a character, whether it's Job, whether it's David, whether it's Solomon, whether it's Saul, whether it's Moses, Abraham, oftentimes in seminary, my teacher, one of my professors would say, Jesus is the greater fill in the blank he's the greater jacob because of this he's the greater adam because of this jesus is the greater solomon see because as the king of eternity when he came jesus didn't say i'm going to build a really cool building i'm going to build this really cool obelisk i'm going to i'm going to make a bridge that goes from this side of the dead sea to the other and i'm going to i'm going to recruit all of these engineers and i'm going to have this great because Jesus, what he was doing, what he was establishing, what he founded, the works of God are established forever. He knew that the things that we would do, that in following him, that when he came, that all of the stuff in life, all of the possessions that we could acquire, he tells us in scripture, don't acquire or chase after the things in your life where rust is going to get to them or moths are going to get to them. Those are the wrong things but store up for yourselves treasures in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus did. And Koheleth, at the end of his life, he missed missed that. So I want you guys to look at this slide, and I'm going to let you kind of marinate on that for a couple of seconds here. If you're not familiar with what you're looking at, these are called Venn diagrams i have a teacher's heart so oftentimes i try to try to teach as much as i try to preach god's gift so the first one riches so you can have riches where that oval extends you can have riches but there's a huge section of that oval that doesn't intersect with anything else who's been blessed with riches raise your hand Who's been blessed with riches? I see there's a few people whose hands aren't up. They're just like, well, you know, I haven't won the lottery, so I haven't been blessed with riches. <clears throat> all of us have been blessed with riches. Uh, pastor at a former church I attended, they put up a, a very graphic uh, illustration of poverty in the world, and they said that the poorest people in the United States are still in, a, in the top one percentile of all of the people in the entire world. You look at the people who are homeless in many of our cities, they still have clothes. Oftentimes, they still have food. They can go to a shelter. They still have possessions. You see the person with the shopping cart pushing it down, and it's full of stuff. There are places in this world where the wealthiest people in a country don't have any of that. They don't have any of those things. So when we sit there and we ask ourselves, well, do I really have riches? Let me read something to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is Paul writing, and he says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance and troubles, hardships and distress and beatings, imprisonment and riots and hard work, sleepless nights and hunger in purity, understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love. And truthful speech in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, yet we are not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Do y'all see the contrast between, if you go back into Ecclesiastes chapter two and you see what it is that Koheleth is chasing after, he's got this twisted outlook. He's got this twisted methodology. And it leads to these twisted outcomes and a twisted conclusion. Oftentimes, this little oval right here, Dominion, you can see that oval can intersect with riches, right in here. Dominion means to have authority over something. You can go all the way back into Genesis chapter 1 when God creates humanity in the image and likeness of God, and he establishes that we would have dominion, authority over all things. But that's been lost through the fall. See, everyone's been blessed with riches, but not everyone's been blessed with authority over the things that they've been blessed with. So what does that look like? Have you all ever seen uh, TV shows or movies where people who are hoarders? This is just one example. They've been blessed with riches. How did they choose to use their wealth? To accumulate stuff. Doesn't that sound like Koheleth? I've accumulated all this stuff for myself, for me, my, mind, my, my, my. It's mine. You can go back in, and we talked about this just a little bit, but in chapter 2, Koheleth in verse 8 said, I also amassed silver and gold for myself, and I hoarded treasure of kings and provinces. That word that he uses to hoard, to hang on to. He said that that's the same word that God used in Exodus 19, 5, and 6 when he looked out at Israel, and he said, You will be my treasured possession see god wants to cling to israel and he wants to hold them as close as he possibly can and Koheleth is blessed with all of these riches people from all over the world are coming and they're dumping dump trucks and wheelbarrows full of gold and silver and spices and the finest of everything they're dumping it and he's sitting there i picture like bugs bunny when i was a kid and he's sitting on top of a giant pile of gold coins and he's just throwing them up in the air And that's what Kohalath looks like. See, because he doesn't have dominion over the things that God has blessed him with. Do you have dominion over the things that God has blessed you with? Or are you simply looking at the riches and the wealth that you have and you're hoarding it? It's mine. Like Bugs Bunny or even worse, like Kohalath. See, because if you have riches and you have dominion and those two things intersect, then you also can have contentment i passed my scripture for dominion i'm going to read that one real quick second corinthians ten three through 5 the walking in the flesh we do not wage war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly but divinely powerful toward the demolition of strongholds overthrowing arguments and every high thing lifting itself up against the knowledge of god And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's been maybe two or three years, but I sat down and sometimes I get a little creative juices flowing in me and I sat down with a a program that I have that's a lot like Adobe Illustrator and I created this screensaver and my wife still has it on her phone of that verse so that we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Y'all ever thought about that? The amount of energy and effort and the dedication that we would have to have to take every thought, every screaming thought that flies across the screen of our brain and make it obedient to Christ. Oftentimes I say to my little boy, Connor, I say, why did you do that? And he'll go, I don't know. And I said, well, if you don't know, how's anybody else supposed to know? Have you ever analyzed in your life why are you doing the things that you're doing? He's waving at me. Hey, Connor. Or the thoughts that go through your head and you, and you analyze them and you say, why is that thought rifling through my head? And do you have the self-discipline in the spirit to take that thought captive and to make it obedient to Christ? See, if you don't, one of the riches that God has blessed you with, you're not having authority, you're not exercising dominion over it. And contentment. Philippians 4 10 through 13 says I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me Indeed, this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi indeed. You were concerned But you had no opportunity to show it Verse 11. He says I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content See being content isn't something that we're born with we're born with the exact opposite in sin Like Koheleth, we want to hoard all this stuff. Y'all ever see little kids, kindergartners, nursery school age, and a little kid comes over to take the toy that they're playing with and the teeth come out if they have any yet? It's like Koheleth, don't touch my stuff. And the reality is is so many of us never outgrew that. We get to a place in our life where we're like, this is my stuff. I'm not going to tithe i don't owe the church anything no you don't owe us anything you don't have to give anything but god is what god has blessed you with if you don't have a compulsion in your heart with joy to give back to him something's wrong i've learned the secret i've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation not just in one Not just in two, not just in the things that we enjoy. I can be content when I get to go and do the things that I want to do. When I'm not around the people at work that annoy me. When I don't have to be on the highway, that's me. I don't want to be on the highway. I don't want to be, it's like, why can't people learn how to drive? Paul says, I've learned to be content in all things. Any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So you can look up there again and you can see you can have riches but not have dominion over them. You can have riches and dominion and they intersect right in here, but then not be content in those things. What does Ecclesiastes teach us About the person who's chasing after money it says in chapter 5 verse 10 the one who loves money is never satisfied with money whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income so you can have riches and you can have dominion over those things and then never have any contentment but what happens if you have riches and dominion and contentment well all of those things intersect in this little spot right here Riches, dominion, contentment. Did I point to the right spot? I did. Those can get a little confusing sometimes. You can have riches and dominion and contentment, but still have no joy. It's possible. And where all of those things intersect together, right there in the middle, where you have riches, dominion, contentment, and joy, where all of those things together Ecclesiastes teaches us that this, that spot right there, that's the gift of God. Moreover, as for everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, who is that? Everyone. That's all of us. And dominion over those things. Does everyone have dominion over the things that God has blessed them with? No. And contentment in their lot. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are content with your lot? Say, oh, you know, if only if only I could get that promotion. If only we lived in that house like those people over there. Oh, if only my car. You know, if only I could get a newer model. If only, oh, if only, if only. We live these if only lives. And Paul says he learned the secret of being content in all things. And then lastly, it says, and gladness of heart amid the struggle. Gladness of heart amid the struggle. Not despite it, but in it. Do y'all see that? Gladness of heart amid the struggle. Is that if you're expecting in life that there aren't going to be any struggles, or that if you're struggling, that you've done something wrong, and so God's punishing you, You're in for a really long haul, and you're up for a lot of disappointment. Scripture tells us, Koheleth teaches us that all of this together, collectively, is the gift of God. Those people, they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them afflicted with the joy of their hearts. Isn't that a strange, strange way to phrase that? God keeps them afflicted with the joy of their hearts many of our English translations They don't really put that word in there, but that's the same word that Koheleth earlier says in If you turn back to chapter 1 The very thing that we said that he had a twisted outlook He says I applied my mind in verse 13 to seek and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven God has given people the miserable task the anah That's that same word God keeps them anah, in the miserable task afflicted with the joy of their heart. And when the people who translate that they say well those things don't really doesn't really fit together so then we kind of dilute the afflicted part of it. Can you be afflicted with joy in your heart? You can. But see, you don't look at it, the person who's experiencing joy in their heart, who has experienced the fact that they have riches, that they have dominion over them, that they're content in their lot, and they're es- experiencing joy in all of those things. The wrong way to look at it is, God, is this is your affliction, that you're clueless, you're, you're, you're a dummy. You don't get the fact that you're missing it. And that person says, no, I get it. I seldom reflect upon the days of my life because Koheleth at the end of his life is having to look back and say, look at all of the the ministry opportunities that I squandered. I'm the richest man who has ever lived. I'm the king over Jerusalem and I'm looking out over the landscape and I see that there's injustice everywhere I look. You're the king. Fix it. You're the one who's ruling over this land but yet you're standing there and you're saying, well, these are all the things that I notice. Do something about it. And we come to the New Testament and Jesus comes and he doesn't decide to build reservoirs and plant orchards and do all of these things that are all going to pass away. And he looks out and he sees all of the injustice and he sees all of the shame and he sees all of the sin in the world. And the king of eternity, unlike Solomon, the king says, I'm going to do something about it. And y'all know what he does? He sets his face resolutely to Jerusalem. And he does something about it. And he dies on a cross. And he pays the perfect price so that we can be together with him for eternity in heaven. He's gone to prepare a place in his father's house for us. see, when Koheleth looked out on his life, he asked the wrong why question, and he started with a twisted outlook, and it led to a twisted conclusion. And I honestly believe that God's message to us through Ecclesiastes is, is that don't begin with the wrong question. If you begin with this idea that God has laid this affliction on our hearts simply to keep us stuck in the mud and the filth and the quagmire of this life and then we get to look at Jesus and he came down the king of eternity born in a filthy manger in the lowest of lows he didn't demand that we build him a palace he didn't build an army an immediate military army that people were expecting he lived a perfect life And he went to the cross. See, we can look at life as just a horrible thing. Or we can look at it as the blessing that God has given us. Do you look at life as a plight or a privilege? Let's pray together.